and welcome to the Stephen Perkins podcast. I'm Stephen Perkins. This is my podcast. You are listening to it. Um, I don't know if the introduction needs to be that complicated every week, but nonetheless, here we are again. Uh, This week's episode, this is typically the show, as I'm sure you know, typically the show where I interview uh, emerging leaders in conservative politics, business, activism, um, uh, media, but this week is a little different. I do not have a guest this week, but I, I did want to share some thoughts. Um, like everybody else in this country and around the world, woke up Monday morning to um, really unfortunate, disturbing news. Um, and this time it hit a little closer to home than um, these kind of stories have in the past. As we all know, there was a shooting in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, right on the Las Vegas Strip. Um, We know by now uh, the shooter named Steven Paddock um, fired on concert goers uh, from uh, his hotel room uh, late at night on Sunday. And most people did not uh, hear about that news until early Monday morning when it became national. But what we have found out since are a couple of things, and I want to share some thoughts about what we have uh, been discovering as the week has been going on. Uh, But I think the most immediate thing, as we've seen with with most mass shootings that have happened uh, in our contemporary history in the past certainly 10, 15 years, 10 years, more so, social media became uh, flooded with information, but also thoughts and opinions about what was going on. What's interesting about this shooting is that, um, as we've learned, the, the the shooter was not necessarily from what we can tell and, and this information's always changing and always finding out new new things but from what we could tell the shooter is not uh, or was not overly political didn't really have any strong ideologies that guided him um, according to his family was not a big gun person wasn't ex-military, wasn't, you know, any type of profession that would have caused him to have experience or connections to to guns. Um, his neighbors in, the, uh, in his community, uh, Mesquite, Nevada, which is, I think, about two hours away from Las Vegas or so, I think maybe an hour and a half, two hours away. His neighbors have described him as quiet, aloof, standoffish, uh, he spent some time in Texas, um, had a live-in girlfriend who uh, was originally considered a person of interest, but I, I think, if I have seen correctly, by this time the police kind of cleared her name uh, later on Monday. So it's all very strange. He had access, from what we can tell from video and audio uh, clips from 
the shooting because you know you know the thing now about it is that everyone has a camera especially at a concert everyone's taking video and so we saw uh, and heard a lot of uh, a lot of from that scene uh, and it was a it was a a fully automatic weapon or at least it sounded like that um, which as you know if you know anything about guns i'm not an expert but as as you know those have been banned right machine guns as they say uh, have been banned so it's kind of interesting how someone with no experience with guns or 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 a background that would suggest knowledge of guns would be able to do that unless you know some of the theories are that he he modified a a rifle um of which he had many in his hotel room is what we're learning uh, so some reports say that he he could have modified it, which again would be odd for someone with no experience with weapons. He could have had a legitimate, uh, fully automatic weapon, which again very unlikely, especially for someone not connected uh, to weapons from his past. So it's it's kind of this odd. The details of the case are very odd, and we have. It's now, you know, the, the largest mass shooting in, in contemporary history with more than 50 people dead, uh, injuries into the hundreds. Um, and I think one of the, aside from the facts that we've learned, whether or not people have paid attention to them, I, th- I think another thing that we've learned or or at least have had you know, have had expressed to us once again, as happens after every mass shooting, is is we see this very disturbing, disturbing set of reactions from people online. I'm a big fan of social media, uh, a Twitter addict, if you will. Sometimes I've cut back, but nonetheless, love the platform. I don't love the platform after things like this after tragedies because everyone suddenly an opinion everyone suddenly an expert everyone suddenly has an opinion and a lot of times and I think people do this without even realizing what they're doing but a lot of times the reactions are just disgusting they are narrow-minded they are um, really disturbing Especially when, you know, when you know people who were involved or could have been involved as I do, as victims. And and so I I think that's one interesting angle we have to approach this story from. Um, I I think it's really, um, really disgraceful how both sides, whether you're uh, whether you consider yourself pro-gun or conservative or liberal or, or pro-gun you know, reform, I think it's really disgusting how people on, on all sides react to tragedies like this. Because on one hand, you have people who immediately call for um, gun reforms, which incidentally enough, um, usually the reforms they call for would have done nothing to prevent the tragedy they're talking about. As in this case, people have said that uh, that they need that we need, you know, universal background checks, which 
you know, would not have done anything in this case. People say that we, that we need to ban assault weapons, which is interesting because usually what they consider an assault weapon is not, you know, assault weapon gets thrown around a lot, but no one actually knows what that means. It, it certainly doesn't classify the weapon that was, um, that was seemingly used in this attack. Uh, not to mention legitimate assault weapons have been banned for quite some time. Uh, usually what people refer to as assault weapons are semi-automatic weapons. Um, and uh, and those uh, the shooter did not use a semi-automatic weapon from what we can tell. Um, and they, they also talk about, you know, mental health screenings and some of the mental health reforms. And so that, that's kind of what happens from the go, the pro gun reform side. And then on the conservative side, I have to say, I saw a lot of my friends very well, well-meaning, um, say some disturbing things as well. Uh, among them were really demonizing people who reacted to this tragedy by talking about gun reform. And I'll talk a little bit um, in a moment uh, about why I think we sometimes jump to conclusions when the other side comes up with ideas for these very sensitive topics, such as Second Amendment rights. Um, but at, at its core, whether whether you're someone who believes that a tragedy should not be politicized or whether you're someone who believes that a tragedy like this is inherently political and therefore we would be remiss not to talk about the policy side of things, I think we can agree that um, what needs to take place is a positive and productive conversation about both violence, specifically gun violence, as well as mental health. And I know this is said after every tragedy, and uh, and my words uh, add nothing to that. Uh, this episode will do nothing to uh, to change the way that we talk about these things, because at the end of the day, we don't talk about these things. Because what happens is right after it happens, we say, don't politicize this tragedy, which I agree with. I, I don't think that while people are still trying to figure out if their family members are alive and safe while people are trying to rebuild their lives after they've just experienced trauma from a mass shooting. I don't think it's correct to jump into a political conversation about background checks. In fact, I think it sounds rather stupid to, to go there that quickly. But on the other side, there is legitimate uh, points to be made about the people who, who generally say don't politicize a tragedy are the same people who then never want to talk about it again. And it, it actually comes up with this very interesting theoretical question that, um, that I, I don't think anyone has given an answer to because it's not easy to give an answer to. It's like, how many days, how many days after can we start to talk about gun violence, mental health? access to weapons, things of that nature. How many days? Should we wait a week? Should we wait a month? Should we wait three months? Maybe a year, maybe a couple of years, or should we just forget about about it altogether until the next mass shooting? And then we come back and say, don't politicize the tragedy. Don't talk about it just yet. And then we wait and wait and we say, not yet. And then we wait and wait and then another mass shooting happens. And we say, no, no, don't, don't politicize it. Just wait a little bit. You know, let people recover, okay? 
week goes by, month goes by, year goes by, we forget about it, another mass shooting happens. My point is, I think at some point, we need to take the proactive stance of saying before another one happens, maybe let's have that national discussion which is my favorite term, by the way, national discussion. But maybe let's have a positive and productive conversation within government and within our communities about what should be done about violence and mental health and access to weapons. So let's break that down. Uh, proactive is is pretty self-explanatory. I think that, it, you know, one of my friends um, told me the other day he said it's almost getting to the point where maybe we should just admit that the price that we're going to pay and and he was saying this is not as if he necessarily believed this but he was saying if we're just not going to do anything about this maybe americans need to admit you know what we're actually okay with this happening every couple of months or every couple of of uh, of weeks uh because it's the price we pay for freedom uh and that that got me thinking. I mean, are are we are we ready to accept that as a country? I don't think so. I think most even more hardcore gun advocates, um, it's not as if they're unfazed by these shooting. It's not as if they don't have a heart for when these things happen. But certainly, that's the way it may seem sometimes to people on the other side of the issue, because it often comes up where it's a. It, it's seemingly a defense of the weapon and not so much a defense of the people it affects. So I think when we talk about having these conversations proactively, we have to think about when are we going to have these before another tragedy happens? And then productive from the standpoint of, here's a crazy idea, let's not demonize each side and let's not say that the gun rights advocates just want more people to die, that gun rights advocates just want, you know, everyone to have a weapon and, and give a weapon to toddlers because I've, I've legitimately seen people on the pro-gun reform side say, well, they, they would just give a weapon out of the womb. Certainly that's a joke. Um, so let's be productive enough to say that conservatives or pro-gun people are not that caricature. But also people on the left and people who are pushing for gun rights reform, let's not characterize them as, you know, evil people who want to take away rights and allow the government to um, to assault our liberties and then leave us defenseless. Because whether you fall into those camps or not, those are very prevailing opinions that each side has of each other one side wants people dead the other side wants our rights taken away and i don't think that we're even willing to consider that there is a middle ground of people who say i respect rights to protect yourself i respect your rights to weapons i also don't want people to die imagine that and then positive in the sense of, you know, this is a tough issue. You can't come at this from the standpoint that everything's hunky-dory and everything's going to be okay. And we're going to, if we just come together and and, put, and push through some sort of 
some sort of set of reforms or, or solutions that no one will ever die from a from a bullet ever again. I, you know, it's coming at it from a realistic point of view, but also positive in the side of yeah, let's come together and actually have a conversation about this, and we can do it without demonizing each other. But at the end of the day, and I've I've written a piece before um, about gun reforms, and in the piece I said that um, there are legitimately people who probably look at the Second Amendment with animosity. And if they were being honest, they would say, let's repeal it. If if some gun reform advocates were being honest, they would say, let's repeal the Second Amendment and, and no longer as a country believe um, that these are inherent rights. But of course they can't do that because they don't have the political capital or, the, or votes or support to do that. Americans still overwhelmingly uh, support a right to bear arms um, with with some level of variance within that of, of what level of access you should be given. So I guess what I'm saying is I, I don't have as many solutions, nor do, do I think anybody does. You know, of all the pundits that I've seen going on television this week, they're only there uh, for their TV time. It's kind of interesting how news has evolved the way that we talk about tragedies. Because it's it's about these media personalities. It, do you, you ever notice how we now get news from personalities? We don't get news from from journalists. We're now being told what to think by media personalities. We're not just given the facts by journalists and allowed to make up our own minds. Because, you know, 24-hour media, we have to fill it somehow, right? So we get these people to go on, whether they're gun rights advocates or gun reform activists, and we get them to go on TV and say inflammatory things and... Um, and then get hate mail from saying those inflammatory things and then publish how hateful the other side is being towards them, which then increases their profile and further demonizes the other side. It's just kind of interesting how we respond to tragedy now. And it's really unfortunate. I um I don't remember much about after 9/11 but I do remember that was people characterize that as the tragedy that brought us together as Americans and <clears throat> neighbors helping neighbors and people being nice to each other being nice to law enforcement being nice to the military you know Cutting the government some slack, perhaps to a fault, perhaps a little too far, i.e. Patriot Act. But nonetheless, uh, it, it was a different feeling. Same thing happened recently when the hurricanes came through. People helping people. National efforts to donate money, resources, time. In Las Vegas, in Nevada, across the country actually, lines to donate blood. Um, stretching around the corners of buildings, six-hour waits in Nevada. 
Can you imagine waiting six hours, almost a full workday to donate blood? So I'm not going to say that this tragedy um, or the way that we treat mass shootings no longer brings us together in a way that we want to help each other, because it, it, it certainly still does. There's people waiting six hours in line to give blood to people who they don't know because they want to help. And you know what that is? It's love. Uh, I don't want to sound like a hippie or um, or anything like that, but I think, you know, and, and this is really the way I've been looking at most news now today. And one of the reasons why have I, I have enjoyed... Um, taking a break from doing commentary on the show and, and interviewing people instead, because I don't have to talk about these issues as much. I feel like if I had to do a weekly show of commentary like this, I would be uh, incredibly depressed. If I had to anchor a news show, I would be incredibly depressed. Um, but one of the things we do here at Outset, one of the things that I strongly believe in is silver lining things. And, 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 you know, certainly to the victims or those affected, there's absolutely no way to silver line what happened in Las Vegas. Um, and I'm not good enough to even try to come up with a way to silver line it. But I, I, I think one way to silver line um, our country in the wake of tragedy is that we often do err on the side of unity and love. And I think that's what we need. I think as we talk to each other about what needs to be done to ensure that um, crowds of people don't get slaughtered into the future, we need to approach these conversations productively, positively, proactively, but most of all, um, from a place of love and understanding that none of us want people to die. None of us want rights taken away. We all still have uh, these American ideals that bind us together and that bring us together after moments like this. So I, I guess if I had just one um, closing thought for this week's episode, and I really do appreciate you sticking through um, this episode if you have. Um, I, I know this isn't the normal programming, but I, I felt like it was important for me to to say something. I, I, I've had these thoughts all weeks, all, all week, and it's hard to write them down. Um, but I guess if I had one more final thing to say, it's that uh, if, if you're listening, I, I don't necessarily know you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know if... Um, if you were in any way affected by Monday shooting or if you've had trauma like that in the past. Um, but I, I appreciate you for listening. I, uh, I, I want to send my love your way. Um, I, I want you to know that in this country, we, we all matter and you matter. And you're loved. Um, and hopefully, I, I don't know, that probably doesn't do much, but hopefully 
that helps you a little bit. Um, when you look at news today and think that, my goodness, people are, people are going crazy. People are, have gone mad. Um, hopefully that you understand that um, even, when, even when things around us become crazy and uncontrollable and even negative um, and dark, we have an incredible power as individuals to be the light in a dark place. That even though the people around us may be negative um, and, and, and may be loud and may be um, uh, not acting in a way that is very American or even human, we have the ability to do that on our end. And at the end of the day, we're only responsible for how we react to situations. I have a poem that my mother had um, by her desk called Attitude by Charles Swindle. And uh, it's a long poem. I encourage you to look it up. But one of the things it says is we cannot change our past. We cannot change the pack. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string we have, and that is our attitude. And then he goes on to say that life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we react to it. And so I encourage you, react to this week's news with love, with hope, with positivity. Um, and by goodness, tell the people around you that you love them thanks so much for listening if you want to connect with me on social media my uh, my username is at steven underscore perkins on twitter and instagram facebook.com slash steven perkins you can also connect with the outset network at outset network on facebook instagram and twitter as well as going to outsetmagazine.com slash podcast to check out all the other shows in our lineup and until next week thank you god bless god bless las vegas mm-hmm.